Hi, everybody. This is Scott Saad. Earlier this morning, uh, Peter Bogosian, who is a friend of mine who's been on my show, I believe, twice, and uh, someone whose work I've covered in the parasitic mind, uh, sent me a tweet or a DM on my Twitter advising me that uh, I should look at his uh, letter of resignation from Portland State University. Peter and I have talked in the past about the pros and cons of him leaving, and I just found out that he uh, finally did resign. Uh, I won't pass judgment either way, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea for him to resign, but uh, he wrote a very powerful and poignant uh, resignation letter, and I thought that I should read it here for you so that you get a sense of what's going on in academia. I've been, of course, warning people for two plus decades about these realities. The, the parasitic mind is all about the idea pathogens that are slowly destroying all of the foundational values that make our societies great. And Pete Bogosian is its latest victim. So here we go. So the title, this is uh, published under the uh, Barry Weiss substack. Uh, so the title of the uh, letter or article, my university sacrificed ideas for ideology, so today I quit. The more I spoke out against the illiberalism that has swallowed Portland State University, the more retaliation I faced. So bear with me, it's a long letter, but it's certainly well worth you hearing what he has to say and uh, recognizing that I receive a gazillion letters from faculty members who are in similar situations. First, a quick sort of one-line bio. Peter Bogosian has taught philosophy at Portland State University for the past decade. In the letter below sent this morning to the university's provost, he explains why he is resigning. Dear Provost Susan Sheffords, I am writing to you today to resign as an assistant professor of philosophy at Portland State University. Over the last decade, it has been my privilege to teach at the university. My specialties are critical thinking, ethics, and the Socratic method, and I teach classes like science and pseudoscience and the philosophy of education. But in addition to exploring classic philosophers and traditional texts, I've invited a wide range of guest lecturers to address my classes, from flat earthers to Christian apologists to global climate skeptics to Occupy Wall Street advocates. I'm proud of my work. I invited those speakers not because I agreed with their worldviews, but primarily because I didn't. From those messy and difficult conversations, I've seen the best of, our, of what our students can achieve, questioning beliefs while respecting believers, staying even-tempered in challenging circumstances, and even changing their minds. I never once believed, nor do I now, that the purpose of instruction was to lead my students to a particular conclusion. Rather, I sought to create the conditions for rigorous thought, to help them gain the tools to hunt and furrow for their own conclusions. This is why I became a teacher and why I love teaching. But brick by brick, the university has made this kind of intellectual exploration impossible. It has transformed a bastion of free inquiry into a social justice factory, whose only inputs were race, gender, and victimhood, and whose only outputs were grievance and division. Students at Portland State are not being taught to think, rather they are being trained to mimic the moral certainty of ideologues. Faculty and administrators have abdicated the university's truth-seeking mission and instead drive intolerance of divergent beliefs and opinions. 
This has created a culture of offense where students are now afraid to speak openly and honestly. I noticed signs of the illiberalism that has now fully swallowed the academy quite early during my time at Portland State. I witnessed students refusing to engage with different points of view. Questions from faculty at diversity trainings that challenge approved narratives were instantly dismissed. Those who asked for evidence to justify new institutional policies were accused of microaggressions, and professors were accused of bigotry for assigning canonical texts written by philosophers who happened to have been European and male. At first, I didn't realize how systemic this was, and I believed that I could question this new culture, so I began asking questions. What is the evidence that trigger warnings and safe spaces, spaces contribute to student learning? Why should racial consciousness be the lens through which we view our role as educators? How do, we cite, how do we decide that cultural appropriation is immoral? Unlike my colleagues, I asked these questions out loud and in public. I decided to study the new values that were engulfing Portland State and so many other educational institutions, values that sound wonderful like diversity, equity, and inclusion, but might actually be just the opposite. The more I read the primary source material produced by critical theorists, the more I suspected that their conclusions reflected the postulates of an ideology, not insights based on evidence. I began networking with student groups who had similar concerns and brought in speakers to explore these subjects from a critical perspective. And it became increasingly clear to me that the incidents of illiberalism I had witnessed over the years were not just isolated incidents, but part of an institution-wide problem. The more I spoke out about these issues, the more retaliation I faced. Early in the night in the 2016-17 academic year, a former student complained about me and the university initiated a Title IX investigation. Title IX investigations are a part of federal law designed to protect, quote, people from discrimination based on sex and education programs or activities that receive federal financial assistance, close quote. My accuser, a white male, made a slew of baseless accusations against me, which university confidentiality rules unfortunately prohibit me from discussing further. What I can share is that students of mine who were interviewed during the process told me the Title IX investigator asked them if they knew anything about me beating my children, my wife and children. This horrifying accusation soon became a widespread rumor. With Title IX investigations, there is no due process, so I didn't have access to the particular accusations, the ability to confront my accuser, and I had no opportunity to defend myself. Finally, the results of the investigation were revealed in December 2017. Here are the last two sentences of the report. Quote, Global diversity and inclusion finds there is insufficient evidence that Bogosian violated PSUs, meaning Portland State University's, prohibited discrimination and harassment policy, GDI recommends Bogosian receive coaching, close quotes. Not only was there no apology for the false accusations, but the investigator also told me that in the future I was not allowed to render my opinion about, quote, protected classes or teach in such a way that my opinion about protected classes could be known, a bizarre conclusion to absurd charges. Universities can enforce ideological conformity just through the threat of these investigations. I eventually became convinced that corrupted bodies of scholarship were responsible for justifying radical departures from the traditional role of liberal arts schools and basic civility on campus. 
There was an urgent need to demonstrate that morally fashionable papers, no matter how absurd, could be published. I believed then that if I exposed the theoretical flaws of this body of literature, I could help the university community avoid building edifices on such shaking, shaky grounds. So in 2017, I co-published an intentionally garbled peer-reviewed paper that took aim at the new orthodoxy. Its title, The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct. This example of pseudo-scholarship, which was published in Cogent Social Sciences, argued that penises were products of the human mind and responsible for climate change. Immediately thereafter, I revealed the article as a hoax designed to shed light on the flaws of the peer review and academic publishing systems. Shortly thereafter, swastikas in the bathroom with my name under them began appearing in two bathrooms near the philosophy department. They also occasionally showed up on my office door, in one instance accompanied by bags of feces. Our university remained silent. When it acted, it was against me, not the perpetrators. I continued to believe, perhaps naively, that if I exposed the flawed thinking on which Portland State's new values were based, I could shake the university from its madness. In 2018, I co-published a series of absurd or morally repugnant peer-reviewed articles in journals that focused on issues of race and gender. In one of them, we argued that there was an epidemic of dog rape at dog parks and proposed that we leash, them, we leash men the way we leash dogs. Our purpose was to show that certain kinds of, quote, scholarship are based not on finding truth, but on advancing social grievances. This worldview is not scientific and it is not rigorous. Administrators and faculty were so angered by the papers that they published an anonymous piece in the student paper and Portland State filed formal charges against me. Their accusation, quote, research misconduct, based on the absurd premise that the journal editors who accepted our intentionally deranged articles were human subjects. I was found guilty of not receiving approval to experiment on human subjects. Side note, I'm, I'm now making a commentary. This is not from Pete's letter. You can't imagine how absurd that accusation is, that the editors are human subjects. They are participants in the experiments, and therefore he should have gone through a ethics approval board. It's insane. Let's continue with the article. Meanwhile, ideological intolerance continued to grow at Portland State. In March 2018, a tenured professor disrupted a public discussion I was holding with author Christina Huff Summers and evolutionary biologist Brett Weinstein and Heather Haying. In June 2018, some triggered, someone triggered the fire alarm during my conversation with popular cultural critic Carl Benjamin. In October 2018, an activist pulled out the speaker wires to interrupt a panel with former Google engineer James Damore. The university did nothing to stop or address this behavior. No one was punished or disciplined. For me, the years that followed were marked by continued harassment. I'd find flyers around campus of me with a Pinocchio nose. I was spit on and threatened by passerby while walking to class. I was informed by students that my colleagues were telling me to avoid my classes, were telling them to avoid my classes. And of course, I was subject to more investigation. I wish I could say that that was, that what I'm describing hasn't taken a personal toll, but it has taken exactly the toll it was intended to, an increasingly intolerable working life and without the protection of tenure. 
This isn't about me. This is about the kind of institutions we want and the values we choose. Every idea that has advanced human freedom has always and without fail been initially condemned. As individuals, we often seem incapable of remembering this lesson, but that is exactly what our institutions are, to remind us that the freedom to question is our fundamental right. Educational institutions should remind us that that right is also our duty. Portland State University has failed in fulfilling this duty. In doing so, it has failed not only its students, but the public that supports it. While I'm grateful for the opportunity to have taught at Portland State for over a decade, it has become clear to me that this institution is no place for people who intend to think freely and explore ideas. This is not the outcome I wanted, but I feel morally obligated to make this choice. For 10 years, I have taught my students the importance of living by your principles. One of mine is to defend our system of liberal education from those who seek to destroy it. Who would I be if I didn't? Sincerely, Peter Bogosian. So let me now mention a few uh, additional things. Uh, just this past weekend, I posted a tweet in response to a uh, Afghan refugee who was complaining that he wasn't receiving sufficient amount of food, although he began his tweet by saying, I'm not complaining, but I will proceed to complain. And so I wrote a tweet, a very polite tweet, where I questioned the idea of not having gratitude for a country that has freed you from you know, a, a, a hell. Uh, and I contrasted it to the type of gratitude that other immigrants exhibit, such as us when we came from Lebanon, another hellhole. Uh, and then I did a very uh, thorough, dispassionate, sad truth clip where I explained my position further and I explained the importance of gratitude and integrity. In, Arab, in Arabic, we say sharaf. Well, you can't imagine the level of vitriol that I received, you fat Jew, although I'm hardly fat, although I do remain Jewish and will do, will do so for forevermore. Uh, you Jew, you Zionist, you pig, you you're a disgrace to your students. What do my students have to do with me taking a position? A professor from University of California, Santa Cruz, started uh, insulting me in, in really in ways that you can't imagine it happening in a high school you know, yard. And uh, his sort of uh, uh, icing on the cake is when, and forgive me, this is rather a vulgar term, uh, he wrote, gargle, my balls. So a professor, a fellow professor, is so indignant at the fact that I might suggest that refugees, and I am a refugee, I'm the definition of a war refugee, so I don't need to be lectured about the importance of ha having a immigration policy that you know helps people uh, within reason out of their uh, you know truly desperate situations. It's part of being moral and humane, but I'm questioning certain values about taking a, your cell phone and going on Twitter and the first public act that you do, or one of the first public acts that you do when you land to your new homeland is to say, hey, I'm not getting enough calories. So we can discuss it. You can share your points. I can share mine. No, he, I'm, I'm a devil. I'm a fat Jew. I'm a Zionist gargle my balls this is a professor speaking to another professor publicly using this kind of terminology 
He didn't back down. He didn't feel contrite about using such words. I am so repugnant to him because I hold a different point of view. We should have an open door policy and let in 100,000, 500,000, 5 million because the U.S. is evil. And therefore, there is no other outcome than to be open to all prospective refugees. That's one form of extremism where you truly believe in a, you know, completely unshackled open uh, immigration, open door immigration policy. So that professor wasn't keen on saying, hey, you know what, let's have a conversation about, you know, you hold this position, I hold that, let the best man win. It was insults, it was intimidation. By the way, you can't imagine the kind of trials and tribulations I go through with the the kinds of positions that I take. Uh, maybe at some point I'll write a, a letter where I enunciate all the things that I go through, but I can assure you that all of the positions that I take are not taken without a lot of costs to bear, truly a lot. And in a sense, I sometimes feel if only people knew the stuff that I have to navigate in order to be able to live my life with dignity. But that is the price that one has to pay if they wish to fight back against grotesque realities. So with that said, uh, I wish my friend Pete Bogosian much luck in his future endeavors. And uh, if you're listening to this, you can either sit idly or you can contribute to the battle of ideas. And there are an innumerable number of ways that you could contribute. You can look at the people who are putting their lines on the, their their lives on the line, their professional lives on the line, their reputations on the line, and say, you know what? I'd like to support this person in very concrete ways. I'd like to fund them. I'd like to uh, write letters in support of them. You could yourself speak out. You can go to your school board meetings of your children. You can uh, stop donating to schools who uh, don't adhere to universal principles of true classical liberalism. There are an infinite number of things that you can do. You are not powerless. You are not voiceless. But if you keep quiet in your selfish apathy and your cowardice, then the number of people who will be driven out of important positions, the ones who will teach your children and grandchildren, the ones who truly have dignified values, uh, will no longer be able to be in academia. And we will pay severe consequences for having sat idly while a few people stood up and said, here I stand, as Martin Luther said, and I will not, you know, go down on my knees for a second. Take care, everybody.